appreciate her. Second Corinthians chapter number 10. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he said, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. He said, because those that measure themselves by themselves, they comparing themselves among themselves, they are not wise. The ESV says it like this. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. He says, but when people measure themselves by one another and they begin to compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Paul is trying to illustrate to us a very simple principle. And that is, it is never a good idea for us to start turning and comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. He says it's not wise. It's not going to have a good ending. And so for the next few moments, I'm going to teach, preach, kind of a mixture of both what I feel that God would have me to say today. Everybody say the comparison trap. You've done a great job in worship, but before you're seated, I want you to lay your Bible down, lay your phone down, turn your attention from the screen. I want you to close your eyes, and we're going to take a moment, and we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to help our minds to get focused right now. We're going to ask God to take away all of the distractions. Would you close your eyes and would you lift your voice right now? Come on, would you help me pray right now that Jesus would help us this morning? Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be back into your presence, in the house of your presence. Now, God, I ask you right now that you would turn away every distraction, God, that you would allow our minds to be focused our heart to be open to receive your word this morning. God, I pray that you would use us, oh God, this morning to minister one to another. God, I know what you have spoken to me. Now I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that every opposition would be driven out right now, that everything that would try to withstand or oppose what you're trying to do would be obliterated right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray for clarity to come and focus to come in the name of Jesus. Father, have your way today. Let the life of a young person be forever changed, God. Let us hear what you are trying to speak in this house today, God. Let my mind and my heart be open, God. I know that you are speaking. Let me hear what you are speaking. Now, I want you to put your hands together for about 15 seconds. Come on, would you lift your voice? Before we get into the word, God, we want you to know you're welcome here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Somebody shout, I love you, Jesus. Amen. High five somebody close to you. You may be seated. One night I was doing some reading and I came across an article published by Psychology Today in Canada, actually. And the name of the article grabbed my attention, so I thought I would read it. The article was entitled, The Comparison Trap. It started, and I quote, judging from her Facebook page, Lisa appears to lead a charmed life. 
She's a middle-aged advertising executive. She takes pictures while strolling through London on a European vacation, choosing fresh produce at a farmer's market close to home. Those who spend time with her in person might also think that she is very fortunate. She has a lovely grown daughter and a devoted husband, and she lives in a handsome New York apartment. She's an artist at heart. She revels in the city's cultural offerings and recently had a personal essay published in the New York Times. However, Lisa's internal view of her life is much darker. She said, I have difficult feelings about how I do not have what I want. She confesses, I feel as if I have fallen short and made the wrong choices. You see, her sense of inadequacy flares, especially when she compares herself to friends and colleagues and people from her past, many who linger in her awareness because of social media. She said, I have a college friend who achieved her dream of becoming a performer and lives in a gorgeous home in a tiny suburb. She said, I have this junior high rival who's now a globe-trotting public health specialist. He'll post on Facebook things like, I'm leaving today for Liberia to help with the Ebola crisis and get all of these comments and likes. And she says, I never get such likes and comments and people saying things like, you are the most amazing person I've ever met. The reality is that social comparison is not a new thing. It's always been a reality. The theory was first uh, put forth in 1954 by a psychologist named Leon Fessinger, who hypothesized that we make comparisons as a way of evaluating ourselves. At its root, he said, is the brain's impulse to make an instant judgment from other people. Uh, ladies, it would be like if a lady walked in the back door and came down the middle aisle and went this way. You may instantly start thinking about her outfit her heels, her purse, the way she fixed her hair. And you may even say, oh, no, she didn't. And what you do immediately without thinking is you compare yourself to her. Guys, it's the same way with us. We make comparisons. Even just last night, you may feel like you're a great basketball player, but when you see someone else play that maybe is better than you or worse than you, it, it causes you to create these comparisons. And what they said is 20 years ago, we can only compare ourselves to the people around us. But today, in the era of social media, and because you have one of these, you now have instant access to people all around the world. You see, when Pastor Dan was in high school, there was no social media. I'm just kidding, there may have been. But you can only compare yourselves to the circle around you, which is a very limited amount of people. But now that we have Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and MySpace, does anybody remember MySpace? If you still have that, raise your hand. Let's give it up for the one guy still hanging on. You got to honor that kind of commitment. Come on, we could do better than that. He still has a MySpace. But now that we have that, now we can not only compare ourselves to those that we know personally, but now we are given this wide variety of people which gives more weight to comparison to people that seemingly are doing better than us. Now through the avenue of social media, 
We are flooded with the highlights from the man or the woman or the young person who has a perfect job, who has a perfect family, who has the perfect vacations, who have the perfect house, who are drinking the perfect lattes, who are eating the perfect meals. You look at their pictures and you're thinking, man, I've never eaten anything that looks that good. Psychologists are alarmed by this social comparison that is creating, they say, in these Ivy League schools, the upper echelon schools in America, they are alarmed at their ever-rising suicide rate of these students who are seemingly have it all together. And then this article, The Comparison Trap, they, they go to these different Ivy League schools and they begin to interview these kids, these students that were the top of their high school and the top of the people that graduated from their high school. They were very smart. They were very educated. They were very gifted athletically. But all of a sudden they get to college and you start seeing these same kids committing suicides and they started digging into what's going on and finally they got a, a lady by the name of Catherine D. Witt to talk to them and she too was someone that was very successful in high school. She had it all together but she told those psychologists she said before I got here I was very proud of who I was. I had a very successful high school career but now when I came to college and I began to look around she said when I started to compare myself with other people I almost could not bear the thought of it. She said, I felt like I was doing good until I tried to measure up to those who were around me. She said, my inadequacies, my thoughts of not want to live anymore all stem from the fact that I was comparing myself to those who were around me because I would rather feel like I was dead than to feel like a failure. And the reality is we have all fallen prey to comparison. I can remember early on when I first started my journey to live for God and I would hear prophecies about my future and I would hear people would pray over me about how God was going to use me. All the while I would look in the mirror and I would see somebody that I wanted to tell them obviously you don't know everything that I've been through and I began to look around and I thought there's no way I can measure up. Because I was comparing myself to people who seemed to have it more together than I did. They had a better family than I did. They had a better story than I did. They just seemed to be better than me. It's comparison. Someone shout comparison. But the issue is it's not just a situation in the world, but we face it in the church. In Genesis chapter 4, we are introduced very early on in the Bible to this story of these two brothers, one by the name of Cain and the other by the name of Abel. And God asked both of them to bring a sacrifice and one was approved and one was not. Abel brought a sacrifice and God approved it. But then Cain brought his sacrifice and God disproved it. But God basically gave him a simple rebuke. God wasn't mad. God wasn't angry. God just told Cain, all you have to do is bring the proper sacrifice. But Cain was irate. We peer into this story in Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 5. But unto Cain and to his offering, God had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you so mad? 
Why are you so angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you just do well, you will be accepted. But if you don't do well, sin is going to lie at the door. And this shall be thy desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now watch this. So Cain brings this offering to God. God doesn't accept it. God tells him, all you got to do is fix it. Everything's going to be okay. But watch what happens in verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Cain's issue had nothing to do with Abel. This was not a time when Cain should have been talking to someone else. This was a time for Cain to talk to God and say, okay, I have a problem. I need to fix it. I don't need to talk to anybody else about it. I need to go straight to the source. But the scripture teaches us that he talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain killed his own brother and it all stemmed from comparison he was not satisfied with his own sacrifice so instead of fixing what was wrong with himself he killed the one that he was jealous of no obviously no one in this room would ever do that but we must be careful not just to slay people in the physical but we can't just talk bad about people simply because we have something wrong with us I'm not going to talk bad about the young guy in my youth group because I'm not satisfied with where I'm living that's not what we're supposed to do God told Cain just come to me with the right sacrifice and everything's going to be okay when we have issues in our life that's not a time to talk to anybody that's a time to go to prayer and say Jesus can you fix what's wrong with me I don't want to gossip about somebody I don't want to run them down because the problem had nothing to do with Abel but Cain would rather eradicate the competition than to fix the real issue he allowed the comparison to get in his heart and he killed his own brother the first occurrence of murder in the world was initiated through comparison. What could have been dealt with, what could have been easily solved, ended with someone losing their life. And we must be careful to never verbally use our voice to slander those that seemingly are doing better than us. We can be susceptible to spewing out death through our tongue. The scripture says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. We must not fall prey to the trap of comparison. Everybody say comparison is a trap. Look at someone close to you. Make it uncomfortable. Get right there. Get in their bubble that we talked about last night. Say comparison is a trap. Everybody said the disciples. One of the things I love most about the Bible is that it does not hide the flaws of the heroes that occupy its pages. And when you learn about the disciples that Jesus hand-selected to follow him, we get to see their humanity and their moments of weakness. The Bible is not a highlight reel. It's real life. We see Moses, who was this mighty leader, but also killed an Egyptian. We see David in the valley slaying Goliath, but also we see David on the rooftop when he wasn't at war and he falls prey to adultery. We see the apostle Paul as a missionary, but also as a murderer. They had problems just like 
us. Someone said they were human. Say, I'm human. Duh. And even they battled with comparison. Mark chapter 10, watch this. Verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to Jesus saying, Master, we would that you should do for us whatever we tell you. Could you imagine going to Jesus saying, Jesus, this is Isaiah, and I want you to do whatever you tell me to do. Now that might be awesome if he can do that for us, but that's probably not the proper way to approach him. But James and John, they come to him and say, look, Jesus, we feel like, me and my brother, you should do whatever we desire. So Jesus is like, what do you want me to do? You know, Jesus is kind of setting them up right here. He says, okay, what do you want me to do? James and John look to him and say, grant, un- grant unto us that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand. You know what they were saying? We want the seat closest to you. We want it to be when everybody walks in, they see James and John sitting next to Jesus, the great trifecta. We want everybody to know that we are your favorite. This is what Jesus said to them. You don't even know what you're asking for. You don't even know what you're talking about. He said, but can you drink of the cup that I drink? And be baptism, be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Jesus' simple response to those people wanting special favor is, you don't even know what you're asking for. Comparison. So Jesus would repeatedly attempt to try to rid his disciples from this selfish mentality that's deeply rooted in insecurity. But yet we still see these glimpses of comparison in even of the greatest people. In John chapter 20, Jesus has has been crucified. Watch this. On the first day of the week, Mary came early while it was yet dark until the sepulcher and the stone was taken away. Then she runs and she goes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, this is funny to me because this is John's gospel. And John is referring to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Simon Peter And then there's me. I want you to know that I am the disciple that Jesus loves. And he says that Mary runs to Simon Peter to the other disciple whom Jesus loves and says, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. So Peter went forth and the other disciple, John, came to the sepulcher. Now this is so amazing to me and almost kind of funny. Verse four. So they both ran together. And the other disciple, John, did outrun Peter. Now, I don't know how necessary it was for John to put in the scripture that in the race to the sepulcher that he beat Peter, but that's totally something that I would do. <laughs> I, I am so competitive. The Lord is working on me. And I need you guys to pray for me. When my wife and I were engaged, uh, we decided to go to Cracker Barrel because we're old souls. And so we're sitting there, and she says, would you like to play a game of checkers? And I said, oh, that would be awesome. So we sit down. We, we go to play the game of checkers, and, you know, the game is over. I took all of her checkers. She took none of mine, and she looked at me, and she said, I thought you were going to let me win. I said, never. 
That's just the way I am. It's, it's a fall. Pray for me. The Lord's working on me. He's not finished with me yet. But I like to win. So I can totally see myself. If I were John, I'm just going to put this in there. Just so they know for the rest of history, when me and Simon Peter had a race of the sepulcher, I won. Comparison. John not only refers to himself as a disciple that Jesus loved, but also he wants everybody to know that he's the fastest apostle. So now Peter, from Jesus being crucified, Peter decides, you know what? This whole ministry idea is not really working out. Jesus has left us. He's nowhere to be found. So I'm going back fishing. In John chapter 21, this is where we pick up on the sword. Jesus is fishing. Or Peter's fishing. And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said unto him, Children, have you have any meat? They answered him, No. And he said, Cast thy net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find it. And there they cast the net. And they were not able to draw it because they had all these fishes. So watch verse 7. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, Look, that's Jesus on the shore. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he had to put on his coat because he was out in the sea fishing with no clothes on. Somebody say he was crazy. In Bogalusa, we say cray cray or you super crazy. Just crazy. And then the other disciples came in a little ship. From, they were not far from land as it were 200 cubits. But go back to verse 7. Here's what amazes me. The ship was not very far from the shore. But John tells Peter, Jesus is on the shore. So instead of staying in a boat like a normal person would and riding to the shore, Peter decides, I'm going to dive out of the boat and swim to the shore because this time I refuse to let John beat me. It's humorous, but it's humanity. And they dealt with comparison just like we do. And we constantly see the remnants of comparison that was evident in the life of Peter and evident in the life of John. But what's, what's amazing to me is in the last chapter or the, the later part of John chapter 21, Peter, once he gets to the shore, he beats John to the shore and he's having this conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. He asked him this three times and they're having this conversation. And then he starts telling Peter about his future, how he was going to die and what, what would be the cause of the death of his life. And so then Peter stops and says, Jesus, what about John? I know you're telling me about my life, but what's going to happen to John? And this is what Jesus looks back at him and says, you cannot worry about John. Just follow me. In other words, we do not have the time or the ability to focus on everybody else. We simply must be focused on the call to follow Jesus. I cannot help what those around me are doing. I don't have time to mind their business and my business. I've got enough problems on my own. I can't worry about John. I've got to walk the path that God has called me to walk. Don't worry about John, just follow me. And Peter, John, these remarkable, notable men of the New Testament would constantly clash with comparison. And Jesus did everything he could to illustrate to them, both of you are important. 
You are different, but you are important. And Peter cannot gauge his success from John. And John cannot gauge his success from Peter. Peter would be the one to preach the day of Pentecost. John would be the one to write the gospel attributed to the deity of Jesus Christ. Both of them were different, but both of them were important and both of them were needed. But they had to kill this spirit of comparison to fully reach their potential. And we see the maturity of Peter and John after they received the spirit of God in Acts chapter three. Now the Bible says in Acts chapter three, verse one, now Peter and John went up together. Somebody say together. Shout it again, together. That's what we have to be with each other in 2020. We are on the same team, rooting for the same cause. We must be together. I am not your competition. I am not your enemy. You are not my enemy. We are together. And watch what happens when comparison is killed and unity is brought forth. They came into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And there was a lame man who was lame from his mother's womb, who was laid daily at the gate called Beautiful. And he began to ask Peter and John for some money. And verse number three said he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple and ask them for alms. And Peter, this selfish, rude, outspoken disciple looked at the lame man that needed what they had to offer and we see the maturity when he fastened his eyes upon him with John and said look on us. Now that may not seem like a big deal, but that's a big deal to someone who's been struggling with comparison. Peter got the revelation. This is not about me. This is not about John. This is about Jesus. So it doesn't matter who gets the credit because he deserves the glory. And today there are people whose potential is paralyzed because they cannot stop comparing themselves with someone else. Theodore Roosevelt said that comparison is the thief of joy. But I say that comparison is the thief of ministry. It is a trap that we cannot afford to live in. It's a trap that sets limitations on our lives that were never meant to be a reality. It's a trap that kills our desire and our ambition for kingdom things. It's a trap that creates its pseudo thoughts and imagination. And it's a trap, young person, that you cannot afford to live in. The comparison trap causes us to fall into one of two fallacies. If we begin to compare ourselves, we will say, well, I may be good, but I'm not as good as that person. Or I may be bad, but Amlis is not as bad as that person. Both of those are wrong. Both of those are wrong. We must understand that we are who we are on purpose. I want you to hear me. There are over seven billion people in the world, and not one of them is a direct replica of you. 
Your fingerprint, your DNA is 100% unique to you. Within your body, your DNA, if you were to stretch it out, it would reach 10 billion miles. But yet God has given each of us our own uniquely designed DNA. Can I tell you when God designed you, he knew what he was doing. And when he called you to be what he wants you to be, evidently he knew that there was something in you that you can be what he called you to be. My pastor always told me, Drew, God can use you being yourself more than he can you trying to be someone else. It is high time, Youth Explosion 2020, for us to break out of this comparison trap and stop giving God these phony reasons to which why he can't use us and why I can't be what he's called me to do. We've got to stop saying things like, if I had their job, if I had their money, if I had their appearance, if I had their family, if I had their pastor, if I had everything they had, you don't. But I've got good news. You've got enough you've got enough you're enough in the eyes of God to be what he's called you to be stop believing the lie that you like something when Jesus put his spirit in you he gave you enough come on I feel something rising in my spirit somebody shout God is enough We must stop listening to the voice of comparison. Some of you may be John. Some of you may be Peter. Some of you may be Mary. Some of you may be Martha. Some of you may be Esther, but hear me. We are all needed in the kingdom. That's why in our opening text, Paul was trying to abolish this mindset in the Corinthian church. He said, stop comparing yourselves among yourselves that is not wise Ecclesiastes chapter 4 said then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors but watch this is like chasing the wind It is a journey that has no end when you start down the road of trying to be somebody else If you live your life to impress those around you, you will never have fulfillment. If you live your life to be someone else, you will never have fulfillment. But if you can live your life to say, Jesus, I'm going to be what you called me to be. Nothing more, but nothing less. I promise you, that is the greatest sense of fulfillment that you could ever imagine. I had no intention of teaching about this today for the whole entire week. I thought I would teach about something else. But when I woke up this morning, I felt such a burden to come today to set some young people at liberty who were bound by the trap of comparison. It is time right now that we stop comparing ourselves among ourselves and realize we are carefully created by our creator. I want you to hear me. If God has called you to be a singer, it doesn't matter that you don't sing like somebody else if God has called you to be a preacher it doesn't matter that you don't preach like somebody else if God has called you to be a musician it doesn't matter that you don't play like them sing preach play (laughs) 
I have seen far too many ministries suffer at the expense of comparison. I have seen far too many young people suffer at the expense of comparison. I want to speak some things over your life today. Will you receive that? I want every young person to stand right now. Just the young people, I want you to stand. I want you to hear every word that I'm about to tell you. And I want you to receive it over your own life. I'm just simply going to declare what the word of God already promises us. Are you ready to receive this? Come on, I need to hear you. Are you ready to receive this? I want to tell you what the Bible says. The apostle Paul said, and I believe that we can echo the sentiments, that by the grace of God, I am what I am. I want you to know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have been chosen by God. You have been approved by Calvary. You have been redeemed by his blood. You've been sanctified by the spirit. You're being sustained by the word. You're being carried by his love. I want you to know you are more than a conqueror through him that loves you. You are an able minister of the New Testament. You are anointed. You are appointed. And you are enough. Come on, I want somebody to lift their hands right now and say, Jesus, I receive every word that you've spoken over me. I am enough. I am enough. Come on, let's take a moment right now to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come against those unrealistic expectations that are placed on our lives. Come on, I want you to hear me. Stay standing. I will be victorious. I will triumph. I will fulfill my calling because comparison will not kill me because Christ will help me. I am me and God can use me. I am me and God will use me. I will not set my standard by my peers. I will receive my standard from his word. Horizontal examination will not destroy me, but upper consideration will help. I want you to repeat after me. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthen me. You need, to, you need to memorize that. That's not just a verse that we cherry pick, that we put on posters and put in houses. That's the word of God. You've got to remember that, that in Jesus Christ, you can do everything that he's planned for you. You don't have to be somebody else. You don't have to look like somebody else. You don't have to act like somebody else. Everybody say, I, I can do this. I want everyone to stand. I'm finished. In the Old Testament, we're introduced to these two kings that are most notable amongst all the kings, Saul and David. As you dig into their lives, you begin to realize the stark contrast in their personality. Saul and David started out with a wonderful relationship, but it ended with Saul trying to kill David. Saul was the original king. The Bible says he was head and shoulders over everyone. Come here, Saul. You are head and shoulders over everyone. Come here. Been looking for a perfect point to use this guy. 
He's awesome. Let's give it up for this guy. What's your... Maverick. What a name. Somebody give it up for Maverick. Sam, I don't mean to pick on you, but I need someone that's a little shorter than him. Could you, let's give it up for Sam. This guy's a baller. He's a baller. So we have Saul and we have David. I'd rather be David, so don't worry. So we're introduced to these two kings. Saul, head and shoulders over everyone. Literally, physically, he's the king. David is this young boy on the backside of nowhere that I talked about last night. Just doing what he's called to do. When God called Saul to be the king, he told God, I'm a Benjamite, which is the least of the tribes. My family is the least of this tribe. That makes me the least of the least. God, why aren't you calling me? He started out, the Bible says, with the right heart and the right mindset. But something began to change when David came along. Because the true test of comparison is how we handle the success of other people. Can we worship when someone else has a solo? Can we rejoice when someone else is the one preaching? Are we excited when God blesses somebody else? That's why Paul would tell us to rejoice with them that rejoice and to weep with them that weep, to be like-minded. The scripture says one to another. Saul fell prey to the comparison trap and there's an enemy that comes out by the name of Goliath and everybody's scared to fight him. And then David shows up, a little young teenage boy, smaller than everybody, younger than everybody. And David says, I will go and fight Goliath. Saul, who was afraid to fight, offered David his armor, not to be generous, but so he could get partial credit for a battle that he never fought. Saul was too afraid to fight, but he said, I'll give David my armor so some of the credit can at least go to me. That's comparison. That's jealousy. That's envy. And so David looks at Saul and says, I cannot use your armor, for I have not proven this, but the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me. So David goes out. And he defeats Goliath. And in the next chapter, David comes into town. And all of a sudden, the ladies start singing his praises. And Saul gets mad. The ladies start singing, David. Oh, look at David. Saul killed thousands. But David, whoo, David killed tens of thousands. All the ladies say Amen. That was weak. All the ladies say amen. So Saul heard the songs of the ladies and it made him jealous. But here is what Saul failed to realize. That Saul and David were on the same team. A victory for David was a victory for Saul. They were not in competition. And so the Bible says in verse 9, 1 Samuel 18... And Saul, I, David, from that day forward. Saul, I want you to look at David. Just kind of give him the eye. 
That's what happened. He said, hey, I'm watching you, bro. I'm watching you. That literally means that he had a jealous eye or comparative eye. And what should have been an asset for Saul, he turned into an enemy because comparison will turn those that are meant to help us into someone we try to hurt. Comparison, comparison will deceive us that the people that are in our life to help us are really there to hurt us. And while Saul had numerous attempts to kill David and tried to, not one time did David ever try to kill Saul. And I believe it all stems from one thing. And that was their relationship and their perception of God. Saul did not have a healthy relationship with God, but it was David who declared, as I declared to you earlier, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It was David who had the right perception of his father because our perception of ourselves is directly correlated to our perception of him. Because I have learned that when you realize who you are in God, who you are to others seems less important. When you know your soul knoweth right well, that your mind realizes who you are to Jesus Christ, then you are not going to worry about what everybody else thinks about you. So David tells Saul, I could have killed you. But I'm not going to fall prey to the trap of comparison because I know who I am in God. I know that he made me and designed me. And this is how I'm going to close. This is from the article, The Comparison Trap. This is the four ways or the five ways that they say to overcome comparison. Now, this is from a secular article. Number one, they say is you must seek connection, not comparison. And I have learned that the more you connect to God in prayer, spending time in his word, fasting and worship, and the more you realize your importance to him, the less you care about about your importance to other people. The second thing they tell us is to look up just a little. They say decades of research suggests that upward comparison can provoke motivation and effort, but the Bible says that when we look to him, our faces are lightning and our faces are not ashamed. That we can look unto the hills for whence forth cometh our help. Our help comes from the Lord, which made the heavens and the earth. In other words, I don't need to look at all of you. I need to spend my time focusing on him. Number three, they say, count your blessings. Somebody say, count your blessings. Now, I could go on and on, but the scripture says that God daily loadeth us with benefits. In other words, we are too blessed to stop and compare and realize what we do not have. Number four, they say, is to compare yourself with yourself. So instead of comparing yourself against your friend, compare yourself against yourself and say, you know what? I may not be where I need to be, but I can definitely tell you I'm not where I used to be. So I'll celebrate my progress on my way to perfection. I know I'm not the person next to me, but you gotta know how far Jesus has brought me. And when you take a moment to celebrate progress, you won't fall into comparison. And the last thing, they say you must pursue Upward, jo- 
And the scripture says that in his presence that we refuse to live without is the fullness of joy. There is something about spending time in the presence of God where he can talk to you and encourage you and let you know that you are enough. You are enough. You are my child. I will use you. There's something about being in his presence that brings affirmation to the calling that he gives us. And so what I've come to tell every student in this place, it is time to stop evaluating ourselves based on those that are around us. And it's time to get into the presence of Jesus Christ and get our identity from him. This is what I feel to do. Because unity is the enemy of comparison. Which is why, Pastor Matt, our adversary works so hard to create division. That's what division is. It's separation. It's division. It's two visions. But when we get unified, we all have one vision. And then you realize the kingdom is not about me, Pastor Matt. The kingdom is not about you. Therefore, I can celebrate when God uses you. Pastor Dan, I can celebrate when God uses you. Why? Because it isn't about us. This is about him. And so when we come together and we have that singular vision, we are the body of Christ. And the amazing thing is that God has uniquely designed our bodies to heal itself. There are so many things that you never know you're dealing with because your body just takes care of it. It just heals it before you know it. And Paul said that we are the body of Christ. We're many members, but one body. And what I feel in the spirit is there's healing in the body today. That we're going to come to pray on our own for just a moment. But I really feel the ministry of the saints, the ministry of the body. And we're going to link up with each other. And we're going to tell each other, you don't ever have to worry about me comparing myself to you. And I never want you to feel the pressure of you comparing yourself to me because there's no one in this room that wants to see God use you more than me. I'm on your side. I believe in you. I want you to be victorious. I want you to be successful. So this is what we're going to do. I want every student to come. I want you to come to the front. We're going to take a moment in prayer for ourselves. And then we're going to pray for each other. I want you to come. The musicians can come if you have something you'd like to sing. We're going to minister one to another. I understand it's going to be a little uncomfortable at first. It's going to cause you to stretch yourself a bit. But God is going to bring healing to your prayers. We must eradicate the pressure of people feeling like they need to impress us. We must eradicate this unrealistic expectation that we're judging everything everybody else does. And we must become unified. We are together. We are a team. So I want every student to close your eyes and I want you to begin to pray. First, we're going to allow God to deal with us. Jesus, I need you. God, I pray that you would touch the heart of every young man, of every young lady. 
I come against insecurity in the name of Jesus. I come against that right now in the name of Jesus. These feelings of not being enough, God, of looking in the mirror and being ashamed of what they see, I come against that and I abolish that in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, the security and I pray the confidence of the Lord would baptize this place today. I come against spiritual low self-esteem. I come against the adversary that says they are not enough, that they are too damaged, that they are too broken. And I pray the assurance and the anointing of God would destroy every yoke right now, every chain would be broken. And I pray that you would begin to clarify to every student who they are in you, that by the grace of God, I am what I am. I come against unrealistic expectations that we place on ourselves. God, I know that this generation has so much to offer your kingdom, but let them feel the affirmation of the Spirit right now. Come on, I want you to stop worrying about what's wrong with you and focus on what is right with you. And that is that you are filled with the Spirit of Almighty God. Come on, there's a cleansing taking place right now. Come on, there are young ladies right now that you're going to lay the mindset down that I'm not pretty enough, that I'm not good enough. Hear me, that's a lie from the enemy. That I'm not who she is and I don't look like her and I can't dress like her. you got to realize you are a daughter of Zion. You have no place here. That spirit has no place here. Jesus. Jesus. Come on, that's it. Would you begin to pray in the spirit? Break those chains right now. That's it, young people. You're being liberated from the trap of comparison. Jesus is enough. <laughs> Jesus helped these students realize that they are enough because you are in the equation. Bring healing right now. God, I know that there are young people that have yet to tap into their potential because they're paralyzed of feelings that they're not good enough. But after today, that's going to be over in Jesus' name. Come on, that's it. Those are weights that are falling off. Those are weights that are falling off. Come on, life is so much easier without carrying the weight of everybody else's expectations. Now I want you to take someone by the hand. Guys, I want you to find a guy next to you, ladies. If you want to turn and face each other, I want you to pray for each other. 
we're just going to establish in the physical what we're trying to establish in the spirit and that is that we are together we're just establishing that we are one this isn't about you this isn't about me but this is about Jesus and the nightmare of the enemy is that the young people of this region will become so tightly knitted together that nothing can separate them because then you would be an army you would be an army for this region you would be able to accomplish so much that's what the scripture says if one can put a thousand to flight and two what can three or four hundred young people at youth explosion 2020 do if you become as one i want you to pray one for another pray for them you are enough i believe in you god use them god bless them Come on, I want you to pray for them like their ministry and their calling depends on your prayers. Come on, I believe that intercessory prayer is trying to well up. You're going to feel what it feels like to pray for someone else. Let it flow. God in my youth group, God in my church, no more competition. No more comparison. No more enemies. We are one. Come on, young guys. You don't need anything else. You've got all that you need. You're good enough. Come on, pray for one another. There's a place for me in this house. There's a place for you.